Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the Hip Hop Save My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Now sit back because it's time for the podcast. Welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. Uh, we are delighted. Well, Rumaj is here, I should say that. Hello, just Rumage, just about. Um, you've had a bit of a nightmare, haven't you? Yeah, I came off my moped on the way here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might have broken my left wrist. We'll see. How do you see how it what, pans what, out. So you've broken your wrist before, haven't you? Yeah. And what happened last time? I just slept on it overnight and the pain got worse and worse, which is happening with this one. Is it happening? I yeah. think so. Was yeah. it the other wrist or the same one? <laughs> no, it's, this is a new one. <laughs> this is a new one. <laughs> Shit. So you happens. think you've broken it? I don't know. It's getting I'm slightly worse. concerned about the green stuff coming out of it at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> Um, okay, well, if you feel like you're going to pass out or yeah, whatever... Yeah, keep an eye on me. It's, it's going to be barely noticeable, so I think it's fine. Yeah. It's good for the ratings, though. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. And I'm dead in the follow-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the next record. Are if you, we all pass um, out, you know, it could be interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, are you feeling okay, though? Yeah, I feel good. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, listen, we are absolutely delighted to be joined by the legendary James Lavelle. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, founder of Mowax, founder of Uncle... Uh, and just general, all, I was about to say all-round bad man, but I don't think that's... <laughs> go for it. Think, have you ever had that in days, intro before? Those days are over. <laughs> I, put a, I put a full stop on it with that documentary, <laughs> goddammit. I'm like the Godfather 3, you know, they just, I try and get away and they just drag me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you just, uh, we were just talking about films before we started uh, recording, and I, my film experience was Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, but you've seen, you've just seen two, like... Yeah, I just saw Roma last night right which uh, won Venice which is just extraordinary yeah and uh, the week before I saw Cold War which are both quite similar sort of styles black and white very um, beautiful and just sort of just these sort of incredible stories about life and love and etc but um, both leave a lot to the imagination which is quite nice when you watch a film like that do you have popcorn I didn't have popcorn yesterday. No, okay. no, no, no. Do no, you, I don't usually. I'm not big. I'm not a big popcorn person. I usually sort of get loads of sort of cola bottles and stuff, and then by the right. I've eaten them by the time the film starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the pick and mix at the cinema. Sorry, I've t- you're talking you're talking beautifully about the film, but I am just slightly distracted. <laughs> you weren't listening. I was listening. No, I was listening, but I've got three kids. Have you got kids? I've got a daughter. Yeah, you got a daughter, right? So, got three boys, and the fucking pick and mix, man. The price of that thing mm. is insane. Like, I said to the kids, keep it light. Don't, I don't mean like they start talking about death in there. I mean, I just mean like, keep the bags light. It's by weight, yeah. It is by weight, yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe it's just that's why it's not, that's why they're not understanding what you're saying. <laughs> Um, no, they're just weird. At the, the crawly one, they just look at the bag and they go, that's five quid. They don't weigh it. It's just like, <laughs> they it's know. such a strange way of doing it. It's like, yeah, that looks about... They just sort of yoda it. Like, yeah. It's so fucking mad. So, James, how are you? You good? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. What are you up to at the moment? 
I'm uh, working on a new TV show, doing some music for. Right. Can new... you tell us about the TV show? It's a new Idris Elba TV show. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I recently just did Trust, so that's playing on the BBC at the moment, which right. is a, a project I did um, with Danny Boyle. Yeah. Uh, and this, this documentary came out uh, recently, Man from My Wax. Yeah. And just finishing a new record. So. How yeah. do we watch the documentary, by the way? Documentary is at cinemas at the moment. Um, and a sort of limited theatrical run, but okay. in, in London, I know there's um, a couple of screenings coming up. And as I noticed the other day, I'm on Sky. <laughs> Sky Store. <laughs> Sky Store, yeah. yeah. And Amazon, stuff like that, yeah. Um, and when, so Man From My Wax, what, can you just break it down to us? What exactly, like what's your involvement? I mean, obviously I know that you're the founder of My Wax. <laughs> yeah. What I mean is, it's like. Did you make it? Did you make, did you? No, 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 no I didn't right. make it. It started, it was quite a strange scenario. It started 10 years ago right. with my ex-wife. And it okay. was meant to be a series of tour, kind of tour blog short films right and it kind of escalated into a film from there and then we parted ways and the people she was working with a co-director and producer ended up sort of taking the film on and it was one of those weird things because it went on for 10 years I sort of never thought it was going to come out right <laughs> and uh, a few years ago they sort of finally presented this rough cut of the film for me to see and the, the sort of realisation is that it, of it coming you know hit me and so I sort of worked more with them, of giving them a, a, quite a mad access to my personal library of, of video um, recordings over the last 25 right. years. Is there anything he didn't want? Um, like when they presented it, you're like, I don't want that. Yeah, there was. There was oh, while he was, was making this record, yeah. he just yeah. couldn't stop tugging himself. Probably don't. Probably don't want to include that. You know, some things are left best to the imagination. <laughs> um, yeah, there were there were things, and you know, but it's a quite a it's quite a uh, an interesting film, um, I suppose. It's weird when it's something about yourself. Um, but it's quite warts and all. So, would you uh, recommend it as like? Is it is like say if somebody had no awareness of you, would that be a good introduction to to what you're about? Uh, <laughs> I think so yeah. to a degree. I mean, it, the thing is, it, it has a narrative and it builds on a certain period of, of of certain periods of relationships, and it's very much based around the Moax era and how that sort of changed over the last 20 years and, mm. and relationships with people like DJ Shadow and Giles Peterson and stuff like that, which is great, but that that's sort of, that's their perspective of my life, you know? Right, right, right. And it does go into other, a lot of other stuff, but I think that if it was a purely creative journey, no, I think an element of one's personality, yes, and I think what it shows is sort of the madness of trying to make stuff and also being young in the record industry when, when, when I started which was really exciting but fucking mad as well you know? yeah because yeah. You, you were 18 when you I was 18 when I started the label but I started working in record stores when I was 14 right. so I started in a record store called Bluebird Records which was on the Edgeware Road and um, that was like 19, about 89 and so it was kind of a, a, a great period of of, of you know, the record shop was originally was a kind of import record store. So, you know, when, when American uh, dance records, disco records, house records, soul records, hip-hop records would be sold, you know, you wouldn't be able to... They wouldn't be domestic, domestically released, so you'd go to these shops to buy American imports. And then you kind of had the rise as well of British electronic, you know, house, techno, hip-hop as well. So 89 was an amazing year to experience and work in a record shop like that and experience all this amazing new music coming out.
obviously passionate about music because you're working in a record store at 14 mm. years old. Mm. How did that turn into you sort of getting involved in, in making music? Well, I, I started there and it was, I, I was, you know, I was DJing and that was my, my life and, and I, I, you know, I know it was what I wanted to do and I did work experience basically from school and, and, I, and then I ended up doing a Saturday job there and then basically sort of skiving off school as much as possible to work there. And then unfortunately it closed down and I went to, I, I went, after I got my GCSEs, I went to a kind of business college, you know, right. rather than doing A-levels. B-Tech back then. Oh, B-Tech. Yeah, yeah, business class B-Tech. What yeah. a joke nice. that was. <laughs> but um, I, I had work experience again, and, I'm, and as Bluebird closed, I ended up getting blue, a work experience in a record shop called Honest John's yeah. on Port Bella Road, which is still there. And in those days, it was I, I started getting really into um, people like Giles Peterson, and also through hip-hop, I was getting really into what records were being sampled and trying to find the original records. So Honest John's was this amazing record shop where you could buy old, predominantly black music. And what I did was start to bring new records in. Right. And that was the kind of beginning of my, my journey, really. And then I started writing. Um, I was writing, um, I was doing a couple of um, columns in Echoes, Blues and Soul, and The Face, doing sort of charts, DJ charts. Yeah. And I then managed to get a column in a magazine called Straight No Chaser. Yeah. And I, and that was, and I called it Mo Wax Please, which was basically because at that time, in sort of 1991, uh, the CDs were, you know, vinyl was being phased out by record labels. So Mo Wax Please was basically more records, please, you know. Um, and I started reviewing a lot of records by people that weren't, didn't, you know, records that weren't being released, getting a lot of demos. And I then started the label to basically start releasing records that nobody else was. And also I was, you know, there was a thing of sort of DJing in clubs and, you know, people had their, their record labels and, it, you know, so a lot of it was just about having exclusive material to DJ, really. So you knew that you'd, have, you'd be able to drop those tunes and nobody Yeah, else. I mean, especially the, be the, 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 the big club, the big break, really for me was doing That's How It Is on a Monday night with Charles Peterson. Yeah. And out of that club, you know, I did it. It, it lasted for, I think, about 11 or 12 years. And out of that, people like Ross Allen came out of that and then Benji B. They were all the sort of, they were warm-up DJs. And, yeah. and, and um, it was an amazing time for records. So, we, you know, you had uh, records from, you know, Higher State of consciousness, of consciousness, Josh Wink being broken there, to The Roots were the in-house band at one point. To, oh, really? Yeah, amazing. to, uh, you know, Portishead, Massive Attack, Moax, sort of. And, and yeah, it was literally, I think, the, originally for me, it was a bit of a competition that, you know, it was the acetate thing. So acetates, for those that don't know, is, you, you know, when you, like a dub, they're like dub plates, so you cut a record, which is a one-off record, basically. And that was very, it kind of came from Jamaican sound system culture. And you, you, you make these records, really, to test records to then press them. But you can get an, a limited amount of plays out of an acetate, but it would mean you could have a one-off, you know, you could cut a track, an exclusive. And very much in those days, it was very much about dub plate culture. Yeah. And so, you know, every, week you'd want to have something that the other DJ didn't have and so it was a bit of a battle you know Giles had Talking Loud and I had my wax and yeah. so he'd be playing a new you know I don't know Young Disciples record and I'd be playing a new DJ Shadow record and then eventually you'd give each other a test pressing right, right, you know right. you know you'd get the first TP so you were still one of the first DJs and da, da, da. but I think in many ways it kind of just started from there it wasn't the idea of, of necessarily what it became initially you know it was really just to sort of have records to put out to sort of within your gang really you know so you weren't thinking about like this is like a business like you're not no. like 
no. Diddy going like, I'm going to start the empire. Or no. You're just no. literally like, no. this is going to help me have exclusives. Yeah, that. yeah. It was very much about DJing, you know. And then it grew from there and then it became, you know, something else. And that, was that just pure, was that just organic how that came about? I think so. I mean, the rec you know, certain records, yeah, it was organic. I mean, I started putting out records which were a bit more jazz orientated and stuff, you know, because I was in that community and it was an, an opportunity for me to, to, to start what I was doing. But I think I was always really into hip hop, but also I'd grown up with, you know, um, a lot of, you know, the whole sort of later acid, not acid house, but more like the rave thing. So I was going out with my friends, you know, we all grew up in hip hop and then suddenly you're in a field and, mm. you know, wherever, uh, off the M25, you know, dancing to these mad records, you know, and people like Cole Cox and stuff like that, DJ. And so I liked that and I liked hip hop. So I kind of wanted to, and, and, and I was, my, my, my favorite artists were, were, were artists like Massive Attack, the whole sound system sort of culture, soul to soul. And, Smith and Mighty and that's so I wanted to kind of when I the, the, I started with friends we started sort of doing these instrumental kind of hip hop records that were sort of drawing from all these these different elements so they were quite soundtracky because in, in weird ways a lot of Acid House sort of you know electronic records were quite sound you know had that 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 sort of instrumental thing going on as well and then taking you know elements of of hip hop and combining it and so when that happened it really that's when things started sort of becoming a, a sound and an identity. And how did uh, Uncle come about? Uncle came about because I started working with um, uh, two producers who, uh, a, guy, a guy called Tosh and a guy called Kudo, who were from Japan. They were from a, a label that I love called Major Force. Major Force was the Japanese uh, record label that started hip hop in Japan. And they were part of the whole Red Alert. Um, posse, so they were yeah. down with Jungle Brothers and the whole Native Tongues and stuff like that. And I, I, I and that, they were that was my favourite sort of group of hip hop artists at the time. So I knew about them, and there was a record that came out on that label by um, uh, a DJ called DJ Milo, who started the Wild Bunch, which then became Massive Attack. So yeah. the Wild Bunch was, you know, me the members of Massive Attack that we know, like Daddy G and 3D and Mushroom, who's not there anymore, but was. But you had Nelly Hooper who then went on to do Soul to Soul, and you had Milo, who then went up to Japan and, and was involved in Major Force. And there was this record that they did called The Return of the Original Art Form, which is arguably one of the greatest cut and paste instrumental hip hop records of all time. So similar to records like Mantronic's King of the Beats. And I got exposed to their label through Tim Simonon, who was bomb the bass, because he used to come to uh, Bluebird Records with um, a guy called Michael Copperman, who ran Stussy in the UK, and then um, uh, 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 two brothers, Alex and Johnny, who had a crew called Ronin. And they were really big, they were Stussy crew, and they were big hip UK hip-hop DJs. And I got given these records, and the design and the whole thing is, I liked kind of finding international records that people wouldn't know, and a lot of it was about, you know, the raps weren't that good, but the instrumentals were great. So right, right, like right. James Brown cut up, kind of, really well produced but the the imagery was amazing so I, I, I got into this label and I was also before I did I, before I went to Bluebird I was I, and I, at, at, that, that, at that period of time I was really into martial arts so I originally started coming to London to do Kung Fu <laughs> and hip-hop and Kung Fu was pretty synonymous yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and so I, that's how I discovered a lot of hip-hop records was from going at an early age I started martial arts when I was eight and that's how I really one of the ways I discovered that style of music. So I sort of had an instant sort of thing of Jap getting Japanese records. Or, 
And so then when I went to um, Honest John's, one of the things I'd do to get a lot of, to get really collectible records that I was looking for, because we were selling collectible records, so whether it be a, a rare jazz record or funk record, you know, it was one of the best places in the country to go. The irony is that, that most of the records were coming from America, but you'd get American hip hop producers coming to the shop to buy the records. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So um, and 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 other artists from all over the world. So suddenly these two guys come in from Japan. They're asking for this rare jazz record, and I said, "Look, if you can get, I can get you that record." Um, and they're like, "How much?" I'm like, "I don't want money. I want to. I want these major force records." And they're like, "Oh, okay." Who are you looking for? I was like, I want this Tycoon Tosh record. And they just started laughing. And I said, what? And they're like, I, the guy goes, I am Tycoon Tosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know. So I basically struck up a relationship with them and I persuaded them to let me go in the studio with them. And, right. and I started doing Major Force in the UK. And uh, and basically, the, I, I, the first, I went into studios to make a record and I made this record and it was the Uncle record. Right, and Uncle right. was like a production thing. You know, in, again, in sort of hip-hop, everybody had their kind of product. You know, I, what I loved about hip-hop at that period, and it still exists now, but because we're not in a physical format of records, is that when you got an album, you'd look at the back and there'd be... Hip-hop records would always have amazing, like, logos. It'd be like Rush Productions or, yeah. you know, whatever, Native Tongues or Red Alert Productions. So when I did uh, the Straight No Chaser column, I was working with Swifty, who was the graphic designer that designed Strano Chaser and Talking Loud. And I just got all these logos sort of created of imaginary things. So I started Uncle Productions. Right. And you'd have the logo in the magazine and do t-shirts. And, and so when it came to put a record out, I was like, oh, we'll just do it as an Uncle record. Which I regret to this day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that cool. But anyway, there you go. Um, and, uh, and I started, so I, I made a record with, with Tosh and Kudo, and then um, and I released that on. So when was that? That was. That was, God, early 90s, about 92. Right, okay. Around then. So there you go. That's the, the, how it all started. It's Tosh um, and Kudo. What were, you, Ron, what were you doing at 14 to 18? I feel, I feel like I've achieved nothing listening to that. Uh, yeah, I I've got to be honest. You do have a I've way of making regrets. you do have a way of making people feel like frauds. Like, <laughs> when I was fourteen, what was I doing? I was trying just to set up a label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying to do something other than wanking. I think that's sort of the main <laughs> sort of aim. The thing that is sort of uh, comes across from listening to you talk about how the how it all started is that like when you hear about people like you know I, I, we we we've had a little bit of experience of having like rappers or producers in here and like bands and stuff and they talk about doing their music but everything that you're talking about is nowhere do you say we thought this would be popular or you know or you're, you're trying to go for this you've just everything Loved you've it. done is driven by your taste do you know what I mean because when the uncle when uncle sort of came out. Like, uh, you sort of go, I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on what this is. Do you know what I mean, I know it's great and I know I really like mm. it, but like, it's sort of, it's so, it's sort of so ahead of its time. You know, people almost have to get their heads around it. And that's because, and when I listen to you talk about the origins of it, it all makes sense of how it all feels very organic, how it came together. But none of that is driven by, you don't know if anybody's got a taste for that or whatever. You're just going, this is what I like, I'm going to make yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that... my, I suppose the, the taste for it was your community and everything was very community driven. So at that time, it was all about going to the clubs and, and the people you were hanging out with. And really, it was just about, I suppose, in a vulgar way, showing off to your mates. Yeah, right. Okay. You know? And I wasn't the cool kid, you know, I, I wasn't that, I, I was, you know, I was from Oxford. I didn't grow up in London. You know, I was always younger than everybody at the time. And I sort of, I suppose I had, I had to prove 
more than most. You know, or I felt I did. Yeah. So I just had, I don't know, I, it's it's weird. Like, I, you know, even when I think back to that time, I don't, I can't remember quite a lot. <laughs> uh, but also, I don't know who that, it's, I'm a very different, in one way, I'm a very different person. But it's, I, I don't know who that, you know, how or why, but there was just this drive to to sort of do stuff and, yeah. and take it all in. And, and I was, I was very fortunate that, through various through various circumstances, I met just this amazing community of people who have now gone on to be part of a lot of them have, have sort of become massively important in contemporary culture, whether it yeah. be in clothing or design or music or whatever. It's that weird thing, isn't it? Of how you know you hear these stories of people being at school together, and you know, mm -hmm. you know, there's that, like that school in in you know in in, in uh, Roehampton where all the, you know the XX and oh, yeah, Fortet yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know Burial all came out of. You know, it's weird, but this sort of small community, and and really for me, it was just about. You were just engaging with that. So for me, it was like on the, the higher level, it would be a, you know, a Giles Peterson or a Tim Westwood or a, you know, a, 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 a Daddy G or whatever. Those were the sort of OGs, and you'd be trying to get them to play your records. And that was enough. That you know, to me, the, the one of the greatest moments of my life was one getting a first test pressing of a record you made. But the, but but hearing something like a Giles or a DJ like that play it on KISS FM or something. Yeah, yeah. That was like, oh my God. And and it was small, but there was a massive, but it was, it was, I think, because we live in a different world now where it's social media and da da da, the, you know, things are very sporadic and spread out. Whereas then, you know, you you know, it was very much about, if you didn't, you, you know, you engage with the community because that was everything, that was everything. You know, it was your, your world, that was how to create your identity, that was a language, it was, and it was very much going to the clubs was a very, very, not that it isn't a social thing now, but it was very, that was the social way. You know, now we've got so many ways to go out and, mm. and or entertain ourselves. You know, you can you can just do it on computer. You can watch a movie at home on a dollar, but actually you had to go, you kind of had to go out and, and engage to sort of meet people, etc. And through that, you know, you, you, you met, you, you know, you kind of created your, you know, you found your identity, but also, it kind of you, you kind of how you contributed to that place yeah you know everybody kind of that was in those clubs one way or another was sort of contributing in some way or another do you think the way that it is now means that you're less likely to see kind of different stuff happen in music and stuff like that like you know because everybody's so because everybody's so social media savvy and stuff like I that think, I think it's just different it's, it's, it's a different environment do you know what I mean you yeah. know like you know Record store. So to work in a record store those days for me, I suppose that my, I don't, you know, my my power, my my confidence came from the fact that when you worked in a record store and you had the best records, you've got to remember that the DJs playing those records were like gods. But if they didn't get the record, they weren't gonna smash it that night. They weren't getting gonna get laid. They weren't gonna get. You know, it's way more than music on the line here. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, it's status, everything. So, you know, and. And you're trading with that, and you're engaging with that, and and that scene was, you know, record shops and clubs were those were the only places you could go to experience certain things. You know, you don't go to a record store now, and you know when I was when I was selling records, you'd have on a Saturday there'd be, you know, you could have a, a, a you could have thirty people deep, mm. you know, but and you know people you'd play a record and everybody would raise their hands to get the record. You'd have people <laughs> fighting over a record. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You'd have people threatening you because they didn't get the record. And, and that created a certain atmosphere, which was an electric atmosphere. You know, the only way that you could hear those records was in a club, 
You weren't hearing it on radio. No. You know, so if you wanted to hear the records, you had to go to the club, you had to go to the record yeah, shop. Yeah. Now you can mm. you can hear it on Spotify, you Straight can away, yeah. you know, you can get pretty much anything. You know, records don't you know, you don't have exclusive periods necessarily for records anymore. You know, a DJ could get a record, that DJ could have it for three months on his own. Then other DJs would get it and they'd have it for six months and then it would come out. And th there was just something about that. Whereas now everything's instant and you can get it on any other platform. But that also changes things. There are positive things about that as well. But it's a different kind of community. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's so many things that have changed the way, you know, and are different from when, from when, when I started. But that's just, I suppose, that's progress, folks. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Rack your brains. Give it some thought. What was the first hip hop album you bought? With regards to hip hop, like your, what, what, do you remember what your first kind of hip hop album that you really sort of blown away? Yeah, from? I mean, it's funny. I, the, you know, seeing so Top of the Pops was, you know, there was a combination of Top of the Pops seeing things like Grandmaster Flash for the mm. first time, and then going to my second school and walking to the school hall and hearing Electro and people in Tashini tracksuits and Puma Dallas and hearing really sort of early hip hop and Electro and just. It was like science fiction, you know. Um, I can't explain, you know, because really, otherwise, it was kind of quite drab rock, and it was also a lot of artists from the 70s who were making records in the 80s, you know, um, which was not interesting when you're 13, 12, you know, yeah. to identify with. Or, it, yeah, and it was very nostalgic. Um, and it, and I, I, was, I was that little bit too young for the two-tone thing, so I missed that. And... Um, it was just like, it was science fiction. It was like seeing something from another planet, especially growing up in England, which was... I always think that growing up in England in the late 70s, early 80s was like black and white. Yeah. Everything was grey. Food was grey, you know. <laughs> the weather was particularly grey. Yeah. The buildings, everything was fucking grey. Yeah. And America, you saw this stuff coming from America first, and it was like everybody turned on to Technicolor, you know. And seeing something like Planet Rock or Grandmaster Flash on... Top of the Pops was just like, what the fuck? It was yeah. like, it was literally like seeing, you know, like seeing something like Blade Runner for the first yeah, time, yeah. you know. And then I got into just starting to get you know really at that that age it was tapes it wasn't even records you know um they were much easier to steal as well yeah you know? um and so it was getting early uh, early hip-hop albums like grandmaster sort of melly mel records and but the, the the records that kind of probably were the first things that i started buying were things like street sounds compilations Street Sounds was a label run by a guy called Morgan Kahn, and he basically took all these amazing American 12-inches, which were all main, predominantly being released on independent labels. So they weren't getting released 
generally in the UK. And if they were, they were coming out a year later or two years later. Right. It was like movies. Now you go and see a movie, it's all, every, the movie comes out the same day worldwide. As you're leaving, yeah. When, when we were kids, you know, Star Wars would come out six months later in the yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So he was getting all this stuff first and putting them together on compilations, and he was a very good curator in that way. And those were the best ways of getting all this amazing music. So street sounds, you know, early hip-hop records, things, and then you're getting things like Schooly D, Call My D records. Um, and then really for me, I think when it really kind of went, when, when it just was like bang, was, you know, De La Soul. Three Feet Home Rising, right, yeah. NWA, you know, straight out of Compton, records like that. That was when it, you know, Public Enemy. Yeah, how low can you go? Death Row, what a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible. Rhyme animal, the uncannable. Public Enemy number one. Five folks said freeze. And I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that determined the those records kind of I think pub, I think Public Enemy Nation of Millions was the yeah. one that got me but I, but I really relate to your thing of going the first time I heard it I was just like what the fuck mm. is this yeah. man Do you know, it wasn't like oh this is catchy you just like I didn't even, I can't even process it do you know what I mean it just sounded so it was, mad it was, the sound was mad but it was also visually man you know yeah, it, yeah. it was like you, you know you see something like Public Enemy and it was like pretty fucking amazing I know you know just to you know these, these what people forget you know because hip hop is so you know, the culture of hip hop then was slightly different. It was a, it was, a, it, it was very all encompassing in the sense that it wasn't just about the records. It was, you were seeing things. You were the language. You know, just hearing somebody say "yo," yeah, yeah. It's like, you'd be like, it was like, your mum's gonna fucking hate you. Great, yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, can you yeah. speak the proper English? You know, you know. I grew up in middle class North Oxford. My mum was horrified hearing, you know, yeah, my yeah. sort of um, trying to act like American rappers. You know, um, but it was just everything. And 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 the, you know, things like you know, Public Enemy, Def Jam, the, the, and Sleeping Bag. It was the the baseball jacket. It was Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Can you remember that? Yeah, when he's so, got the best yeah. baseball jacket. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. That was the first time. Mate, like, I looked for I that. I want that. Yeah, yeah. You just want that Isn't jacket, that just right? loving American things? Yeah. That's what yeah. I was like. Yeah. yeah. But it was also so a like street very, thing, I think. Because yeah. there was, mm. you know, the American thing also, different generations the, the, was, the, you know, the punk thing and yeah. the kind of, you know, there were different musical strains, you know, the, the sort of post-punk stuff as well. But hip-hop to me, you know, you had, it was also a culture of, of Thing, people coming together. My my, my my mother's sister married an Indian man, so my cousins were, you know, mixed race. So I was growing up with that, but that was also kind of finding its feet and coming together, especially with youth culture. So to sort of experience this amazing kind of cultural thing and also this sort of predominantly black movement, but it kind of spoke to you in a, such an incredible way that everything felt so new. So I think it was just this kind of, it was it was like seeing a movie when you saw those artists. And it could just be like literally just, again, because it, you're in an era where you could only maybe see it once a week. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, mean, that, I, I, I do think that yeah. made it so much more special. Because yeah. like you sort of... Trying to hunt it down. Yeah, because yeah. Like, as soon as I... Uh, you see, if you saw Public Enemy on like a mainstream show or something, yeah, you just be like, "Fucking, I yeah, can't believe because it!" Because everything like, else was so shit as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, and it was that era where suddenly you've got sort of got Mick Jagger doing bad records, and yeah. then you know you've got obviously there's a lot of good kind of good electro synth records, but it doesn't, it didn't. I wasn't, that wasn't what hit me. I think it was just, 
it was this thing of it was it, it was like seeing like it was naughty it was bad it was da- it was dangerous yeah. as well there was yeah. a danger to it and all of that stuff coming together i think as a kid was just like especially a boy was like it was everything you can ask for you know yeah, yeah. There was a thing, feeling of trying to find a voice because that, that, you know, you didn't really... When you were younger, when I grew up, and I was r- relatively privileged. My mother was an artist, my father was a lawyer, but he was a musician. So, and I came from a very open-minded household. But the way that I was probably going was to follow probably more of an academic, middle-class North Oxford route. Right. And then hip-hop, well, first it was martial arts and then hip-hop, and the combination of that was was the perfect way to just do any parent's head in at that point in time. And also to find a kind of new identity. It was a whole new way of communicating within youth culture. And were you more... Tuned into the rappers or the production, or, or was it both? all of it? Right. I mean, I, I I I was always very obsessive. Maybe it came from I don't know what it. I, I sort of trace it back to my parents, and my my father was very into. He was he he's a brilliant sort of musicologist, and he's also he studied Greek and Latin classics, and he was he can recite Dante in Latin. He he's got one of those brains of history and you got that in your locker room. Yeah. 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 You know, but he, he's right. one of those guys that has this very obsessive but meticulous brain about whatever he's into. And I kind of got that I think from my father. So I became very obsessive about things. When I got into martial arts, I was I I I, I was going to study in Shaolin in China and I was learning Chinese at, at sort of 12 13 and studying every day and coming to London. Are you just you just coming to make us feel like yeah. shit about no, ourselves? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> no, it's good, it's good. <laughs> but I, I got I obsessive about hip hop, you know. Yeah. So I got into everything from the production to the labels and I just tried to just consume as much as possible and sort of but that took over everything that was my right. life was just dedicated so my school life fell apart but I was going to you know I you know I remember when I got one school report you know the the, the sports teacher said yes we hear he's a nice guy but he's never been to sports my mum freaking out going but I thought you were going to sports so I was like going to London to you know to get records you know? yeah and so I just studied everything and I just I became very obsessed so I loved all of it, every facet of it, from the from the visual identity, of, you know, which was predominantly graffiti, and to the language, to the production, to who the crews were. You know, that was also one of the one of the great things about vinyl, or, or, or not just vinyl, but way records were packaged back in the days. So you had all this; it was the only way to get the information. And you'd have a few magazines, and then you know you might get a few pirate radio shows, and you sort of pieced it all together, and it became this sort of archaeological quest to find things. You know. Yeah. And through that, then that became this amazing journey of how you met people and stuff. But yeah, I just became obsessive about all of it. I know? do. It's interesting you bring up the visuals because, like, I do think logos are such a thing for like, uh, like the Wu Tang W mm. is like, or oh, just, just Def Jam, man. You know, yeah, Tommy of course, Boy. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They're extraordinary. You know. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and very much part of modern culture now, you know, in the same way that, you know, you've got kind of Coca-Cola, but hip-hop was brilliant at branding. Yeah, mm. yeah, It yeah. was like it was the first, really, that branded itself, rather than it being just about the artist. It was yeah. about crews, posses, yeah, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. communities. And you had the DJ, you had the, the breakdancer, you had the artist, and everybody came together. And you see, and that's something that I think is very much a foundation of how modern sort of contemporary culture works. Hey, man, what's your favourite hip-hop album? We always ask what your favourite hip-hop album of all time is. It's a difficult, difficult one, one, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but it, it's difficult and it's not because actually at a certain period there weren't great hip hop albums there were great hip hop singles right 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 you know right. Um, and the, but then the 90s I think just sort of 88 onwards the album started to get more more crafted um, for me the record that I probably played the most and was the most exciting record personally to over here was Low End Theory Tribe Called Quest yo microphone check one two what is this the five foot assassin with the roughneck business I float like gravity never had a cavity got more rhymes than the one that's got family no need to sweat Arsenios to gain some type of fame no shame in my game cause I always be the same styles upon styles upon styles is what I have you wanna just to fight for but you still don't know the half it's a pop. Was that Clara's as well? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And what is yeah. it about that one? Because obviously Tribe are incredible, but what is it about uh, Low End Theory above uh, any of them? It was just everything about it. You know, I mean, but I mean, the production was just on another level. It was, all, was it all Q-Tip? And it was no, it was Q-Tip and uh, Ali uh, Shahid um, and, but I think you know Q-Tip was obviously incredibly instrumental in, 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 in most of it. Um, Bob Power mixed it. The mixes were incredible. It was an album. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. It, it, it is also the the, the the choice of sampling was just unreal. Mm. And you know, I was I was kind of more. I was at that period. I was very much into the sort of jazz, soul, and funk thing. So that record just kind of worked with anything. You, you know, every every hip hop head was into it, but you could play it in every other kind of club. And uh, you know, his also Q-Tip was just the man. Yeah, you know, yeah. he was just you know him, Rakim. You know, those those were the two that really were my favourite rap- rappers of that of those of those years. You know? you know, with sampling, because like Tribe and I think De La Soul as well, yeah. the way they used samples was actually it was still. Uh, complex and nuanced and, and stuff and that is a different type of sampling to where somebody just rips off a, a, a catchy kind of uh, riff or something and then just loops yeah, it. Yeah and also and a lot of the records you were, you know, this, the other thing is now you can get things very instantly but those, a lot of the records that they were finding, I mean Prince Paul was unreal on yeah. that level. I mean, you know, three, three is the magic number. That record it was it's like a kind of, it's a Sesame Street kind of uh, kids record. Yeah. And you know, it, you couldn't find it. I mean, these records were impossible to find. So, so there was an element of these god-like people that were putting these records together from these samples that were like, how did you, you know? So you spend years just trying to find the samples, yeah. you know. And I'd actually say that the other record that I think, you know, there's three records from that period. You know, Tribe is that record. Low End Theory is my favourite, I think, hip hop record of all time. But Three Feet High and Rising is also pretty. It's an extraordinary record in that. Yeah. Way. Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates the music in a measure. Measure in the music breaks three parts. Casually see, but don't do like the soul. Cause seeing and doing are actions for monkeys. Doing hip hop hustle, no rock and roll, unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punk. NWA straight out of Compton, I thought, as albums. But I just think that, you know, the tribe just sort of, it was so, it was fucking cool. They were just cool. And it was the New York thing as well. New York, it was, yeah. you know, New, it really hip hop was so New York centric in that way. What do you feel about, do you have a take on like the, the legacy of Straight Out Compton? Because like Straight Out Compton was an amazing record. It did sort of push hip hop or a certain section of hip hop into that kind of, area of, of, of kind of extreme you know that whole gangster rap thing yeah but it had existed before I mean I think a lot of people focus on on NWA but but Ice-T was yeah, doing yeah. that a lot before and then you had people like Schooly D Cool G Rap yeah it was synonymous with you know these, these records predominantly coming out the street 
and you know, and and you know, look at look at what those those the places that most of those artists were coming from were like back in those days. It was pretty hardcore. So yeah. rap, being a, 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 essentially an expression of of life, you know. I think that it just, it was real. I think now a lot of it is bullshit. It right. makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I don't, but I think for those guys, it was really expressing what you were seeing around you. And and also, you know, there was there was how you funded those records. Record, record companies weren't funding you. Mm. And if you were being funded by a record company, they were pretty dodgy anyway. So you were paying through it from other means. And those other means generally were kind of quite, dodging, you know, selling drugs or whatever, you know, that was, it. And, and so I think whilst it kind of, records like that have, are responsible for certain things, I think in the, the, the integrity of that record is is what's important and what it says, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't fake, it was real. Yeah. And again, it was very exciting to hear that, even though for a lot of people what their experiences were are pretty shit, you know, when you look at what, you know, Compton and what was going on and, and, and in, in that period of time, and especially the, 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 the racism, which is obviously ongoing, but mm. that time was horrific with police, etc. Um, and, and incredibly poor. I think that those, you know, so I, I sort of see it as they weren't trying to kind of, it wasn't like they were going out to be like, we're going to shock everybody yes, just to yeah, do yeah. this. Mm. Yeah. I think there was an element of that, but I think that's part of being a being a music. You know, there's always an element of it doesn't matter if you're in a rock band. You know, the Rolling Stones wanted to shock people. Yes, you know, yeah. it's part of entertainment, right? But I think that so you know, I think that those records in particular, you know, a record like NWA is very important socially, but also the thing that's really great about NWA Total Compton is it's just a greatly, it's a, such a brilliantly made record. Right. You know, yeah. and again has brilliant samples. Are you still as into hip hop as you always have been, or have you sort of? Yeah, I am. I don't. I don't collect it in the same way that I used to physically. Um, I'm not as aware of you know because obviously hip hop it has so many different strands now. In the sense, that it's the most commercial music in the you know it's the the biggest selling <laughs> the music biggest, in the yeah, world. Yeah. Um, and that, but then on the other end, you've got you know your kind of SoundCloud rappers and everything, and to take it all in, I'm just not on it in that in so much in that way anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love hip hop still. Um, and what are you listening to at the moment? Well, I'm always fascinated by the sort of Kanye saga, you know. What is your? Uh, what is your? Are you a Kanye fan? I'm a ca- I'm a, I'm a fan of his production. I right. think he's a brilliant producer, and I think he's a brilliant sort of uh, cultural magpie and eccentric. I'm not into the vomit. Right. I think the problem we have the, the the other thing that's very different actually going back to the old days of, of when I started it's mad thinking it's the old days I always thought I was the youngest now I'm like really old but, um, but is that there was a filter system Yeah. and there's not a filter system so much anymore yeah. and that means there's a lot of records so if you want to be an expert on something it's pretty it's pretty insane because yeah. there's just endless it doesn't matter what kind of music yeah, there's yeah. no you know but when it comes to something like Kanye there's no stop button and that's that. That's sometimes the problem, I think. Well, it is a, f- a problem, you know. Well, yeah. him thinking of something and being able to broadcast that immediately yeah. is an issue for him, isn't it? Yeah. You know I mean, like it's 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 not the issue that you know we we can all do that, but it's the filter system thing. It's not thinking about what you're doing, but that's what we all we can at times get fascinated by. But yeah. but I'm 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 actually predominantly just I really like his production. I think he's a brilliant producer. You know? Yeah. And. Uh, 
you know, a lot of the other stuff, especially his politics. You know, it's 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 sort of it's sad because it's entertaining, but it's also you forget the power he, of the of what it's yeah, being yeah. done. But is he I mean? doing that to be shocking? I mean, we're talking about. I think so. Yeah, because I think I think. You know, look, I'm not I'm not a social media person. I've never had Facebook. You know, right. I have uncle You're Facebook out, and da da. I I've never had Instagram. I don't I've never done it personally. Yeah. So like, I don't is that a deliberate decision or you just haven't been asked? Yeah, kind of. Right. What well, it was kind of I, I'm just quite private about things. Yeah. In, in weird, in, in a certain way, even though you've got a film coming out, which is really unprivate. But, <laughs> but in a certain way, yeah. And I think at the time when things exploded with social media, I was definitely in a bit of a reclusive period. So, going back to something like Connie, I think that it's also a, it's a modern way of expressing yourself, isn't it? How you utilise social media in in the way of somebody like him mm. or that clan that he's part of you know? yeah, yeah but i think with him there is probably also issues of sort of mental health and stuff like that not being negative where it's sort of like you're not being filtered and maybe sometimes you should have somebody just i know your it, back. you do think somebody at that level because you are watching a reality tv yeah, show yeah, it's take away mad. his twitter yeah. well just somebody yeah, just go yeah. to just like just somebody that he goes to and goes i'm about to say that slavery is a choice yeah. Could I, mean, which I is just mental, double you know, check with you yeah. that that's okay to say? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Like, it's or just... get your facts of how to articulate it. Well, right. that is that is the thing yeah. because he will then always say, "Well, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I wanted to say this." But obviously, there are certain things that you need to think about. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you I saw the Jay Z Letterman interview that I had on Netflix not too long ago, that is a very he's considered he things incredibly yeah. well yeah. And, 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 and I thought was incredibly mindful to certain things actually you know especially well his... Letterman tried to push him on the whole infidelity thing, but he was he? mindful about it yeah he was he did express it he did talk about it and, and, and he wasn't he wasn't a dick about it no no you know it felt like and I'm sure that wasn't the case but it felt like Letterman could have said anything to him and he would have had. He would have just filled. You know. Yeah, filled I it. think he, he was just mindful about the way he, he yeah. reacted. I was, I was pretty impressed, but, yeah, I th- I was, but I think that's also why you get to the level of something like that. Yeah, you know. Um, and then other hip hop, I, I, I very spread it. I quite like. I, I sort of got into kind of. There's quite a lot of new sort of more indie stuff that I like. Um, and um, you know, there's there's interesting stuff happening with British hip hop. You know, um, so. The sort of I sort of take bits, fragments of stuff and put it together, you know. Mm. But that's also my whole process has always been a sort of collage and sampling. So I'm constantly taking mm. bits and pieces. But the thing is, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert anymore on. I'm not an expert on contemporary hip hop. Well, none of us. Are, Whereas yeah. I, I, I would say that I was pretty pretty good expert on on 90s, you know. Yeah. Pre sort of, well, the beginnings of hip hop to probably about 2001. It kind of ends. 2001 chronic is sort of where it kind of ended as. The, the obsession of hip hop. Right, right, right. Um, but I, it's weird because I'm not, I don't, I'm not buying records in the same way. You know, like my memory of what things are. I get you get asked these questions. What do you like at the moment? What do, and I'm like, I don't, I can't fucking remember. Yeah, yeah. I know when I get home and I've put it on a, you know, you know, in a, a folder, I've written it all down. What because I have a radio show. Shall I plug my radio show? Yeah, so living, wait, in my head- wait, wait, living in my headphones your- on living in my headphones on Soho Radio. Okay, but it's just quite sporadic. I, mm. I just I'm constantly listening to radio shows and randomly just hearing records and, and writing them down. And then from friends, from walking around, from watching things, I'm just constantly mm. sort of sampling record. You know, in my head, taking these bits. Plug one, plug two, guest plugs for you. 
James, listen, uh, we are out of time, unfortunately, but you have been an incredible guest. My would pleasure. you be able to? Would you be up for coming back on? I'd love to. Yeah, 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 yeah. we'd love yeah, to have yeah. you back on and do because I'll tell you why. One of the reasons is I could tell Rupert's excited. He's asked more questions during this episode <laughs> well, yeah. than he has during the two years total that we've been doing. Yeah, I was going to tell you my story when I saw. Uh, oh God, God, Sh- Shadow this. and Crush in Manchester in '94. It's like oh, wow. one of my favourite sort of hip hop related. Where was that? Like Sankey's? Sankey's yeah, yeah, I was there. I was yeah, DJ. God Amazing. damn it! You didn't fucking remember me, uh, did you? Right, the no, interview's over now. What a dreadful. <laughs> we, we, do you know what? We're wrapping this up in a beautiful way. We can, we and you've got to tell my story that doesn't fucking involve you. <laughs> No, it it was, that was an amazing. That it, was though. an amazing, yeah, it was incredible, incredible. But I think that was maybe one of the first bugged outs or one of those yeah. things very mm. early, like the first month of Sankey. So I, I, I found it this morning online. Someone's got a recording of it. Oh really? Yeah, that whole. And then DJing together. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. that would have that would have been really good records. I mm. think. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. But it's it sums up perfect nineties. Like it's perfect nineties playlist. Oh, I'd like to hear that. Well, you know what? When I'll I come back, send it to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. send it to me. Yeah, and I would love to. I'd absolutely love to. Yeah, I'd really love. To. <laughs> okay, we'd love to tell you about. I just it. can't. I've never seen him like this. Honestly, James. I'm not, I'm Maybe not, I should fall off I my have, bike. More I have often. never seen him like this. <laughs> it's like I remembered everything. <laughs> um, listen, it's been such a pleasure to to have you on. So we can see your film in selected cinemas. Uh, yeah, selected right? cinemas, and then it's out on DVD. Um, and you can, or you know, the most of the sort of download platforms, yeah. i.e., Amazon, you know, iTunes. Um, and Sky, it, you can you can watch it. Download. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. You said it really in a really sinister way, but it's good that you're going to do nothing that. Nothing you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, it's really creepy the way you did it, but it's good. Uh, James, listen, we look forward to part two. Thank you so much for your time, man. My pleasure. Thank you, Thank you very much for Thank having you. me. Thank, Thank you, man. Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.